So I read this story um, about a guy named Mark and his wife Heidi who were planning to go to a Christian concert with some friends and their friends backed out at the last moment. Uh, but the day, uh, on the day of the event, and so as Mark came home, he saw neighbors, neighbors that he had recognized, that he had seen in the front yard, that he had not really had any meaningful conversation with before, but as he pulled into the driveway, he just said, well, I have two tickets, and they're two neighbors, and so he, on a whim, not even thinking that they would want to go to this concert, asked, um, hey, you want to come with us? to this concert, this Christian concert. And um, the guy just kind of, have you had that moment where you invite somebody and they just kind of um, clam up a little bit? You know, they're like staring at their shoes and shyly looking at his girlfriend and looked back and said, you know, uh, no thanks anyway, I think we'll pass this time. Uh, but if you'd ever like to barbecue, maybe we can barbecue in the backyard. It was then that Mark realized that he had forgotten the golden rule of all new relationships. Do you know what the golden rule is? Especially, you're Texans, you should know this, right? Barbecue first. <laughs> Barbecue first. Now, I'm having a little fun with that, but really the, the rule is that we, we should always, we should never really engage, we should never push our faith. We should always start with relationship. There's something that happens over a meal that breaks down barriers. There's something that happens over a meal that, that, that breaks down barriers and helps us to connect with other people. Last week, we, we started the series Poor, and we're looking at what it means to be the good news, to share the good news with our world, that, that if we, um, as followers of Jesus, um, if, 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 we have, uh, if we've been saved from death and brought into life, then, part, then really the rest of our lives is about sharing good news. And yet in the world that we live in with all of the conflict and all of the uncertainty and all of the things changing and culture and everything else, Christians are growing more and more afraid to say anything, to even speak up about their faith. And I get it, a lot of us are, are nervous um, because of, of many things, but I think a couple of the main things that we're nervous about, number one, we've seen it done the wrong way. Anybody been there? I remember when I went to college, right? You know the street evangelists? They're all, they're all over college campuses, and I can still remember this guy standing on, on a pedestal out in the courtyard yelling and screaming at people that they were going to hell. Maybe you've had an encounter with somebody like that. Maybe they weren't standing in the middle of a courtyard screaming, but their lives kind of screamed like that. And it, it's not attractive. And so sometimes I think we're afraid to say anything because we don't want to look like that. Other times I think we're, we're afraid of our of rejection, right? right? I mean, what if this person rejects my offer, like the offer to the concert? What if they reject? What if they turn me down? What if, what if they have questions that I can't answer? We're afraid of that rejection. Listen, in this series, what I want to do is put your mind at ease. I'm not trying to, to coerce you. This is not a sales pitch. I'm trying to help you live into something that could radically change your life if you think about every day simply being poured out as a blessing to the world. You see, the good news is a blessing to all the world, and anytime Jesus shows up, life gets better for people. 
And so if you show up full of the Holy Spirit and ready to be used by God, you have nothing to fear because God will use you in basic, simple ways in your life. What about Mark and Heidi? What could they have done or what did, you know, thankfully they didn't do too much damage, right? So the story goes on, this well-meaning invitation to a concert failed, but several days later, Mark and Heidi um, invited Scott, took him up on his offer, and you know, he opened the door, didn't he? It felt like a rejection, and sometimes when we feel like we get rejected, all we do is we close the door. But really, Scott, his neighbor, had invited him, had, had opened a door for him to invite him over. So what did he do? He invited him over for barbecue. How many of you can do that? Okay, come on, seriously, are you with me today? I mean, how hard is it to invite someone over to dinner? We like to eat, don't we? And instead, so instead, what they, instead of closing that door and feeling rejected, what they did is they, uh, a few days later, invited them over to barbecue, and they said, okay, here's the deal. We're gonna invite them over for barbecue, but we're not gonna talk anything about our faith, right? They felt like they had been rejected because of that, and so we're gonna, meet, we're gonna build a relationship. We're not gonna say anything about our faith, but interestingly enough, Scott brought it up in the conversation. He started to ask them about their faith, you see, the truth is today, there are conflicts, there are difficulties, there are more and more people walking away from the faith or walking away from the church, questioning these things, these long-held beliefs of the Christian faith. And yet at the same time, people are spiritually hungry. People are going to bed at night and they're wondering about their kids, they're wondering about their marriage, they're wondering how they're gonna make ends meet, they're, they're questioning whether their life means anything, they're looking for hope, and they're asking a lot of spiritual questions. And the reality is, people are actually open to spiritual conversations more than you think they are if you care about them, if you care for them. And here it is, friends, if you're really not casual about your faith, but you're deeply passionate about following Jesus in a way that is natural to you. And so let me introduce the rhythm of this, this rhythm of life that we introduced last week. Let me, let me, let me um, if you missed last week, let me introduce you to it. Uh, let me remind you of it if you were here. Let me encourage you to, if you did miss last week, go back online and watch last week's sermon as we set this series up. But pray is root, uh, poor is rooted in this is is rooted in our history as Wesleyan followers of Jesus and the story of John Wesley and the first gathering of this band of people that were passionate about a revival and an awakening in London and they met in this old abandoned cannonball foundry. And this place that had been used to cast armament for the king was now a place where lives were forged and transformed and renewed and made useful for the kingdom, and a movement started. And we're praying for that kind of movement to start in our day and in our place, in your lives, in our lives, in our neighborhoods. And friends, it looks as simple as this. Following these patterns of Jesus in our everyday life can change our world. What are these patterns? Well, POOR is an acronym to help us live in this pattern, in this rhythm of Jesus. P is pray. Will you simply pray for your neighbors? Will you simply pray that God will utilize you, use you in your world, in your community, where you live, where you work, where you study, where you play? Will you 
invite God to do that. Now, last week I introduced you to this covenant that we're asking or this, this um, pledge that we're asking you to take and there are baskets around the room today and you have five weeks to turn these pledges in. If you didn't get a book, they're out in the lobby. When you go out, you can grab one. But I wanna ask you to take that seriously. Don't just let it pass. I'm gonna remind you every week, okay? So bring it back. Drop it in the basket. There is something about that tangible. I know it seems elementary. It seems like, well, I can take the pledge without signing it, without dropping it in the basket. I get it. But there's something more concrete about doing that, about writing your name on that piece of paper and dropping it in the basket. And you know what else it does is it encourages other people too. When those baskets start to fill up and we realize that we're not just doing this on our own, but we're doing it together. And so I really wanna encourage you to lead the way in the next few weeks and to fill those baskets up with pledge cards because we're inviting you to do that simple uh, thing, to, to pray first. And if you just take that first step, it'll make a huge difference. Today we're gonna talk about offering invitations to relationship. Next week we're gonna talk about understanding needs and then responding with word and deed and we're planning a special workshop to help you with that, to help you discover how God's wired you. You can find the information in the book, so grab one on the way out today. But like I said, today is about offering an invitation. An invitation kinda like what Scott and Heidi tried to offer. But, but specifically, not an, an invitation, I want you to hear this, not an invitation to church. There's a time and place for that. Listen, the pastor, don't quote me wrong, don't misquote me. Pastor's not saying don't invite people to church. Would I ever say that? No. Okay, there's a time and place for that. But I believe as you start praying, God will open doors and you will have an opportunity to invite people into a relationship. We also gave you the neighbor map last week. So you've got the pledge and you've got the neighbor map and the neighbor map helps us in this. Okay, this is just a tool. The exercise itself is not what matters. The exercise itself is intended to help us remember names, help us pay attention. How many of us are distracted? You're, you're not answering because you're distracted right now. You're listening, to, you're paying attention to something else. You got your phone out, I don't know. We're all distracted, we're all busy, amen? We're all too busy, we're all too distracted. We all have surface level conversations all the time and we don't actually pay much attention to people around us. It's, it's an epidemic in our day. I'm just as guilty as anybody else, okay? Running from one thing to the next thing to the next thing and never actually slowing down long enough to have a real conversation where we get to know people. So the neighborhood map is intended to help us do this. You, you learn names and then, and then below that you'll see these next couple steps that I'm gonna introduce you to today. But I wanna be specific here. Invitation, an invitation, offering an invitation to relationship. To pray for those people and then as God leads you, to invite people who maybe are far from God into a relationship where you can bless them. This is the rhythm of Jesus' life. This is the rhythm of Jesus' life. Jesus lived in close proximity to people that all the religious leaders of his day pushed away. And he told these stories in Luke 15, especially there's three familiar stories that we always talk about Luke 15, in Luke 15 about a lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son. You, you know those stories. 
And they get to the biblical idea of the lost and God's heart for the lost. God has a heart and longs for the lost to come home, for the lost to turn away from the things that are destroying their lives and to come home. Now, I've taught on these parables many times, some of my favorite parables. But often we kind of skip breeze past the first two verses. And I want to I just sink there. If you turn to Luke 15, verses 1 and 2, Luke sets these stories up with this simple line. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees, this is an interesting group of people, right? Those that were religious elites and those that are considered sinners. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Friends, there will always be mutterers in this world. There will always be detractors. There will always be tell people that tell you what you can't do or why you shouldn't do something. And Jesus had those in the crowd that day. But here Jesus is, he's drawn a crowd again, and it's not the crowd that the religious leaders like, it's the sinners, the outcasts. And they're hanging on his every word, and he is offering them bread, he is offering them spiritual food. There are mutters in the crowd, but Jesus is doing work here. Jesus is bringing life here. Jesus is breaking down walls here. But I want, you to, I want you to notice this. I don't want you to miss this. What is Jesus' simple approach to ministry so often? He welcomes people. He welcomes people to a table, and he eats, and he drinks with them. Jesus' strategy is to welcome and to eat. Now, how many of you can do that? How many of you feel ill-equipped? Y'all are on that one, right? We're an eating church, right? I mean, like, we do this every day. If I talk to you about evangelism, all of a sudden you're clamming up. If I talk to you about, you know, explaining the faith, you're clamming. Listen, follow Jesus' pattern. Eat and drink with people who are far from God and see what he will do. Share a meal. I mean this seriously too because so often in our culture today we're running and, and, and the table, the table it, it has become a place that we've lost where connections are made. A shared meal is a spiritual place. To eat with someone somehow breaks down walls and this is what Jesus is doing. He's drawn the religious leaders and the sinners together, the outcasts, and he's eating and drinking with them. And the Pharisees begin actually to make all kinds of accusations about him. Earlier in Luke chapter seven, it says that the accusations about Jesus were being made by the Pharisees. They didn't like the crowd that he was hanging out with and so they said, because he ate and drank with sinners, they said he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners, welcoming, eating, drinking, socializing. To Jesus, these are not, these are not the, end, the end goal. These are a way to relationship. This is a way to break down walls. To Jesus, it's all about relationship. And relationship is Jesus' strategy for reaching the lost. In each of the stories in Luke 15, when the lost are found, what happens? In fact, that's the point of the story. There is a party thrown. Friends, who likes a party? Who likes to eat? Okay, you're evangelists then, you're missionaries. If you can eat and you don't mind a party, 
Even if you're an introvert, you know, stay in the background, but it's still like you can socialize, right? This is Jesus' strategy. It's a party. In fact, I was thinking this week about all the instances, you know, there's somebody pointed out that Jesus in the Gospel of Luke in particular, everything that Jesus does, he's always on his way to a meal, he's at a meal, or he's just left a meal, and he does miracles all around the table all the time. Now, all, this, all the pictures, I mean, Jesus did walk a lot, so I don't think he was fat. I don't think he was a glutton, but he was at the table a lot, and he was with people a lot, and he was building connections and relationships and bringing down walls and even teaching around the table. Transformation and life was happening around the table. If you're a parent, listen to me, don't miss this. You have an opportunity around the table with your kids that will be gone soon. Okay, but all of us, all of us can do this. Sharing our faith is not supposed to be a drag. Remember I told you last week, this is not gonna be about guilting you. This is gonna be inviting you into rhythms that I think you will, you will find life giving. You see, because when Jesus shows up, he gives life, he brings life. Always things get better. Yes, he challenges the religious elite, but he brings life. And if we will do this, this is not about convincing people or converting people. It's just about Jesus pouring himself out in us and through us. And yes, the Holy Spirit can do that through us. But will we offer, simply offer an invitation to relationship? This is easy enough, right? Eat, but don't eat alone. And don't eat just for eating's sake. It's a holy moment. It's a sacred space when we sit down with others and share a meal. You see, here's the thing. Jesus didn't eat just for nourishment. Jesus didn't eat for his own satisfaction. Jesus ate with others because he knew that it was a strategic place where his mission could be fulfilled. In fact, if you look across the Gospels, you could make this argument, and I like to make it, that Jesus was a party crasher. He crashed a lot of parties. He'd show up. He was invited sometimes. Other times, he even invited himself over. <laughs> now, I'm not recommending that on a regular basis. But Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine. He was at a party. And wine was a symbol of celebration and life. And Jesus, when the wine runs out, he knows the host is gonna be embarrassed, and so he turns water into wine. This is his first miracle, friends. Somebody is breaking on the scene here that's gonna change things when Jesus shows up. Jesus invited himself over to Lazarus' house. He's walking down the street, and Lazarus, he looks up in the tree. Lazarus has climbed a tree to see him, and there are people all around us, friends, who are dying for this kind of connection, and Jesus knew this. When he saw Lazarus, he knew that he was, that he was an outcast, that he was in the back. He couldn't see. He had to climb a tree. He had to go to great lengths, and he was still so hungry for that connection. He was hungry to see Jesus, and he was reaching out, and Jesus says, I'm going to your house for lunch today. And there they have this encounter that changes Lazarus' life. Or in Luke 6, Jesus and the disciples go to dinner at a Pharisee's house. This Pharisee 
Simon, and they're eating, and there was a woman who's known of, to be of questionable character, and she brings out this alabaster jar of perfume, and she begins to wet Jesus' feet with her tears, and then she wiped her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on him. And then if you flip over to Luke 6 in your Bibles, it says that the Pharisees were like, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Immediately, Jesus knows this is a teaching opportunity. You see, the table is a place of fellowship and connection and relationship, but it's also a place Jesus will use to challenge us. Jesus challenges their attitude. He tells a story, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave both their debts. Now, which of them would love more? Love him more. Of course, Simon's trapped, right? He knows the answer to the question, and he also knows who he is in the story and who the woman is that they're questioning Jesus being with. I suppose the one who had a bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Jesus goes on, you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my hair, wet my feet with her tears. See, this is, this is foot washing, this is service, and Wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Jesus uses this as a teaching moment about the lost, about the, forgive, the forgiven, about the Father's heart, and about our own self-righteousness so often when we forget what God's grace has done in our lives. Jesus does an amazing thing here. He uses this as a teaching moment to draw both of them in different ways closer to the Father. Jesus sends her out and says, send no more. Jesus calls Simon in and challenges him. He is poured out in this meal, in this conversation. And he is inviting us to pour ourselves out in the same way. And so I wanna invite you to take, take the map in your book, in your guidebook, that you, if you didn't get one last week, you're gonna, you're gonna pick one up on the way out. If you did and, and, and it's at home, I don't want you to lose it. You can get another one, we'll print more, okay? Take this home, take it seriously. This is not, remember what I said this last week, this is not a five-week exercise. This is about the rhythm of our lives. This is everyday way of life that we're inviting you into, that you might bless, that you might be poured out. What kind of conversations can you have, though, to move? On this next page, on the other side of the block party, uh, the block map, the neighborhood map, we're gonna get to block party in a minute. That was, that was a little slip, but it wasn't unintentional, some of you, there's some mutterers in the back muttering about my mistakes. There's a page on here called Next Step Invitations and we're gonna talk about this and I wanna invite you and there's some resources. We have a website put together, foundrychurch.org slash poor. If you'll go to that site, you can find all of this information, okay? Um, and you can find the covenant there, the pledge there. If you're forgetful and you lose things all the time, that's a place to go. Remember, this is permanent. You can also... Um, take the pledge there. But there's some other resources that can help you there. 
Um, but what we're talking about is kind of moving from stranger to acquaintance in the first part. With the block, with the neighborhood map, you're moving from stranger to acquaintance just simply by learning names. It's, it's a simple first step to write the names down of your neighbors in, in that first section of, uh, on the map. And then what you want to do is move beyond, though, just an acquaintance. How do you move from a, an acquaintance to a real relationship? And so you could say that, block, that, that the block map helps you to move from stranger to acquaintance by learning names, and then the next step might be to throw a block party. It might be to invite someone over to your home and have a meal together. It, it would follow the next rhythm of Jesus that we've talked about today to create spaces where you can have a meaningful relationship or, or meaningful conversation that goes the next level. And so on B and C on your map, you're gonna try to, you're gonna try to get to know your neighbors. Listen, this is just an exercise. Again, the intention here is in the context of doing life with people. This is a tool to help you be intentional, to go a little bit deeper, right? It's not about just filling the blanks in. It's a visual reminder to help you live by the rhythms of Jesus. And so in that second line, you're gonna try to find something you're as you learn okay don't force it like don't don't get the black the let me just be specific don't get the map out while you have your neighbors over for dinner and say hey my church gave me these things and i'm supposed to fill these three lines out so can you tell like, like this is in the rhythm of everyday life just learning things about your neighbors like what's important to them go beyond the person who drives the red car that's not really helpful okay but instead, you know, did they, did they grow up in Idaho, California, Tennessee? Did they grow up somewhere else? Is there some family history? What do they do for a living? What are their hobbies? Do they like to golf? Do they like to fish? Play cards? What do they like to do? What's their favorite sports team? What did they tell you about their, their, their family? You know, their father was in World War II. That comes up in conversation. The tool helps you remember those details. Because if you're like me, a lot of times I forget. I don't, I don't pay, unless I record. And so this is a tool. So that's, that's the, the first tool. And then the, the next tool we're gonna go into more is to connect even deeper with people about their dreams of starting a family, the purpose, their purpose in life, what motivates them, what are they passionate about, what is their faith story, what do they fear most. Listen, you're not getting there overnight. That's long term, okay? But this is the progression of things in the relationship. Listen, I don't need to teach you how to have a relationship, okay? I wanna resource you and help you with these tools, but I wanna remind you how easy it can be if you are intentional. What is Jesus' strategy? He welcomes people and he eats with them. He welcomes people and he eats with them. Jesus goes to parties. Jesus is a wedding crasher. You know, the Pharisees, Accuse him of being a drunkard, a drunkard and a glutton, which I, I think I need to say a word about this, okay? 
They, they accuse him of this, and, 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 and he says that John the Baptist didn't spend his time eating in bread and drinking wine, and you say he's possessed by a demon, but when Jesus does eat and drink, they call him a drunk and a glutton. You know what this tells me? That the, the Pharisees are just trying to trap Jesus. This is important because, listen, for Jesus, the point is not the party, for his own consumption, for his own, and anything that we do, listen, this was not, Jesus was not, you know, hanging out at the frat house all the time, getting wasted. That's not what I'm talking about. I just wanna be clear, because I think it is important. There, there are many of us who, the church needs to come alongside people with real addictions. And I don't want you to mishear me when I say Jesus was a party animal or a party crasher, whatever. Because there are people that eating and drinking has become what is, what is disfiguring their life in Christ, what is drawing them away from Jesus. It's an escape for some of us, and we need to be honest about that. This is not what I'm talking about. You see, the meal is not centered on Jesus. Jesus is using the meal as a way to deepen relationship and to bring healing and hope for people. Everyday people. I love what Henry Nouwen wrote about this. He says, when we invite friends for a meal, we do much more than offer them food for their bodies. We offer friendship and fellowship and conversation and a spiritual bond grows. And we become food and drink for one another. There's a spiritual connection that happens over a meal or at a party or watching a game or connecting in this way. In your, in your guidebook, you'll also find resources to help you throw a block party. And I hope that maybe through the fall, you might consider doing that. Neighbor, we're gonna work on that together, right? My neighbors are here. But what would it look like for on a regular basis for you to eat with people, not to eat alone? What if you traded those meals that you're eating alone for eating in fellowship with someone and then once a year you made it a goal to throw a party? We wanna help you do that. Why? Because those little conversations can make a huge difference in someone's life. For us, I mean for a lot of us in our faith development, who was it that made a difference in your life? I know for me, you know, they're, they're the celebrities, they're the big names that share their testimonies and they encourage, and they're the teachers and the professors, they're those people that have a big platform who preach or who do different things. But listen, the people who really impacted my life the most were everyday people who I was in relationship with, who I was close to, who I knew, I saw their walk with Jesus. It wasn't the professional, it was the person right next door, you could say. And so as you open a meal, as you open your home to a meal, or as you're willing to be part of throwing a party and inviting your neighbors and friends together, there is no telling what God might do that moment. It could be of eternal significance. There could be a party in heaven because someone walks out of death and into life over time as you pour yourself out for them. That's what I'm praying for you, for us together. What would it look like if we lived into this rhythm together, all of us? Let me pray for you. God, thank you for the ways that you pour yourself out for us. Thank you for the ways that you have given life to us. Thank you, Lord, for 
being a God who brings life, who throws the party and who eats with sinners and those far from, far from God. I pray, God, that you would help us to be that kind of food and drink for our world. Lord, real life, real faith is not just something we come to consume, but it is something that consumes us. It is something that becomes our way of life in simple everyday ways. Lord, I pray for the encounters this week. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see the intersections that we have simply around a meal or at a party or in a social way, Lord, just to go a little deeper than the, sur than the surface level conversation, to listen to people, to open the doors, to invite people in, to offer, Lord, invitations to deeper relationship. God, there are people around us each and every day who are living without hope, who are living without purpose and meaning in this life and who are going through pain and difficult circumstances and transitions and who have moved to a new neighborhood, who are trying to find community, who are wondering what to do about their marriage or their kids. God, and you are the answer to all those things. And God, you haven't called us to be, you haven't called us all to be on a stage somewhere sharing, but you've called us all to share in different ways in our lives. And so God, I pray that you'd equip your people right now through your Holy Spirit. Help us to do simple, things. Help us to share a meal. Help us to share in conversation. Help us, Lord, through your spirit to be a blessing, to be poured out for this world, that we might bring life as you have brought life. God, we give you thanks because you have brought us life. And so often we make it about ourselves and we forget what your grace has done for us. Let us not be like the Pharisee, Lord, but let us remember that we are all prodigals, that we have all been lost and that you celebrated, you celebrate when we come home. And you use us, Lord, to throw a party, to be like the servants who throw the party, who welcome the lost home. And God, I pray that you continue to do that in us, through us, that our church might be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.